0: My name is Matthew Morgan. I get the opportunity to be one of the pastors here at Veritas Church and serve in the area of gospel shepherding. So it's exciting to have this opportunity before you to come into the book of Haggai and deal with more of chapter two. So if you have a Bible with you, join me in the book of Haggai. And the question that I want to ask us as we get starting is it started. When was a time in your life that you did something good for the wrong reasons? When you did something good for the wrong reasons. And I mean, this kind of defines a lot of my childhood, right? Um, Mom always loved when my room was a disaster. And so I would, I was being sarcastic. Is this where you guys are at right now? Um, I would try to clean up my room. And in all honesty, it was probably so much less about my mom, okay? Love my mom, appreciate my mom. I'm not saying anything. I'm just, you know, I would just be like, okay, like, I'm going to put away this great Lego creation that I made. And I would set it carefully in this box just for the sake really of kind of my comfort, actually. Uh, I didn't want to... Get in trouble. So what is a situation that runs through your mind where you did something good for the wrong reasons? And I think that's kind of what we come into here in Haggai chapter two. Um, if you'll recall with me, the people of Israel have been hauled off by Babylon. They've been in imprisonment for approximately seventy-ish years, and now Darius is the king. So Darius has released the people. And they've been back in their promised land for about two years-ish, and um, they've been building and working on their homes. And so you saw in chapter 1 just this plea the Lord makes through his prophet Haggai saying, Guys, I see your houses, like I see your paneled houses, you're getting them fixed, you've got a roof over your head, But, but where's my house? You guys seem so focused on your stuff and your wall. And like throughout this time that you were in Babylon, you continuously prayed to me. You continuously begged me, like, bring us back. Bring us back. Let us be our nation once again. And here I've brought you back. And it seems like, you know, it's been two years. So, you know, maybe a couple months you chip away at your home. It's important to have a home, right? There's weather. um, There's thieves. There's um, animals. And so it's important to have some protection. But as I've watched you guys over two years, it seems like your houses are getting nicer and and there's no house of worship. There's no house of worship. Here, the people that God had called are back home and they haven't set up a home for their Lord. So if you get a little bit of a picture of who Israel was, they were the chosen people of God. God chose Abraham's descendants. And he said, of you, I'm going to make a nation. And through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 18. And so he starts this journey with the people, protecting them from famine by moving them to Egypt. And in Egypt, they become slaves. And for years and years, they served the Egyptian armies. But in that, they safely grew in number to the point where the Egyptians are like, "Uh, what are we going to do with these people? And so they enslave them and make their work and labor very difficult. And so at some point, the people of Israel have had it and God has had it. And he's like, I'm going to move you out. And as you read through the Old Testament, I don't know if you've read through Exodus lately, but it's so frustrating. You're like, I want to say that I wouldn't be with Israel. I fear I would be right alongside them. They see God, Yahweh, Not the Egyptians God, but Yahweh, this God that created them, that created the universe, that called them to be his people. They see him move in one of the greatest empires in the world at that time. If not the greatest empire in the world at the time. They see him cause destruction saying to the Egyptians, like, wake up. There is a God. He is over the Nile. He is over the sun. He is over your health. Repent, release my people. And they say, no, no. No, no. So they see God do all these things, and then God walks them to the Red Sea, and they're like, well, we're dead. We're pretty much dead. We're going to die. It's going to stink. They walk through on dry ground. They get across, and they're like, we have no bread. We could just go back and be slaves. What are we going to do? Bread. And not so long after, they say, well, we've been eating bread all this time. It would sure be nice to get some meat. And God provides meat. And they come to a place in the wilderness where they don't have water. And they're frustrated and angry. Even their leadership is frustrated and angry. And from a rock, the Creator provides them with water. And so you see time and time again these people seeing the faithfulness of God, doubting the faithfulness of God, complaining, complaining, wanting more. And through this, they become tired with God. They say, we want a king. God gives him a king. The first king was terrible. And then there was a second king. We all kind of know him, David, the shepherd boy, out in the field watching sheep while all his brothers came through before the priest and were checked out. The priest was like, these guys are huge. These guys are going to be awesome. And then none of them were chosen. But there was one out out in the field. And they call him in and he becomes king. And we know so much about him. But nonetheless, the kingdoms fail. They continue to rebel against God and prophets are sent to say, like, come back to the Lord. Obey the Lord. And they say no. And they say no. And throughout the Older Testament, you continuously see the writers and the prophets and the various people refer back. Like, remember Egypt. Like, remember that time. Remember the wilderness. Like, it was hard. We made it through. God provided a way through. And they said no. I'm not going to come back to God. I'm not going to serve him. I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to sacrifice. So God raises up Babylon. And Babylon sacks Jerusalem at some point, And they literally haul the people of Israel off. And for a period of years, about 70. And so this is the season that they have come back. So these people have seen so much. And so they get back. They start building their homes. And God sends them a message um, in the first day of the month, of the sixth month, God sends them a message and says, listen, I see you building your homes. What about my home? And it's crazy. If you read through the Older Testament toward the end of Haggai chapter one, you're like, ah, oh, they rebelled again. No, they actually obeyed. You're like, did I read that correctly? Like they obeyed and they obeyed. They heard the word of Haggai, the prophet from the Lord. And they obeyed the Lord and they said, we are going to build this temple. And so you see that at the beginning of chapter 2, they've been building the temple, but some of them remember the old temple. And I don't know if you remember the old temple, but you can look back into some of the previous books and you can hear about Solomon's temple. And there are literally chapters devoted on with details of how much wood was hauled from here and how much gold was hauled from here and silver and all these things. It was an awesome temple. And they look at the rubble that they have cleaned away and at the start of what they've done and they they come up discouraged. They're like, this this is not Solomon's temple. But the Lord has a message for them through the prophet Haggai that says, I'm with you. Work, for I'm here. And then he says, listen, there's coming a temple that's going to be far greater than Solomon's temple. Keep going. And I, what I love about the book of Haggai is he, he leaves time markers. If you're, a, if you're not sure about the Bible, you struggle with whether it's legit, awesome. I'm so glad you're here. But here's some opportunities for you. You can go into extra biblical texts and stuff and really you can read about this historical time period that, that um, these things happened in. And so you have in the beginning of verse 10 another time marker. So this is about three months after the Lord had spoken to Haggai the first time. And we have these people still kind of building this temple. And it seems like today is the day they're going to set the cornerstone. And the cornerstone's a very big deal because with it, you're going to get this wall and you're going to get that wall. And so this cornerstone is, is a big deal. It's going to set like how this structure is going to be. You don't want the cornerstone to be weak and you don't want the cornerstone to be crooked. Okay, and so it's happening on this day. So let's read a little bit in Haggai chapter two, starting in verse 10. It says this on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. Okay, so smarter guys than I tell us this is December 18th of the year 520 B.C. The Lord is not finished with his people. Just as he promised their forefather Abraham, like, through you I'm going to bless all the nations. Even though Babylon had called them away and they're here like building from rubble what they used to be, God has not forsaken them. And though the empires of the Egyptians had an impact on Israel and though Babylon had an impact on Israel, God is working in Israel. God is working in them and calling them to task and being their God, and they are trying to be his people. So what does he say to them? It seems like he kind of breaks this. He gives us a picture in two parts. It's really hard for us to understand, but let's read it and try to make some sense of it, okay? Verse 11. This is Haggai chapter 2, verse 11. Haggai the prophet speaking from the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of armies, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priest answered and said, no. All right. I wish every one of you was a Levitical scholar. Okay. But I'm guessing no one is. Anyone a Levitical scholar in here? Good. All right. So I'm not either. Okay. Okay. But there's this picture of a chosen people that God set apart for himself. There are other people in the world at this time. There are other cultures. They are living. They are doing it. But there's this people that God chose. They're Abraham's descendants. And God is working through them. And of Abraham's descendants, he picks this guy Levi. And he says, from you, I'm going to make a line of priests. And priests held a significant role when you're a theocracy. God had given the law in Deuteronomy to his people, to his chosen people. And the role of the priests was to explain the law or teach the law to God's chosen people. And more than that, if people broke the law, the priests had a very important role to help the people confess and be made right with God. The priests played a role as people would bring their sacrifice to God. And be made right with God. So the Lord addresses these priests through the prophet Haggai. And he starts with this story about meat. And the meat is either going to a sacrifice or it's coming from a sacrifice. And this meat is considered holy because of whatever role that it plays within that sacrifice. And when you consider the holiness of God, God leaves no gray areas. To what he determines as holy and what he determines as unclean. God is absolutely holy. Absolutely perfect. In him there is no shortcoming. Both in the essence of holiness or in himself, in his character or being. And so when God says this is holy, I've got news. It is. Like I don't know how to explain or express that any better. When God says holy, it is holy. Don't mingle it with unclean. When God calls a people to himself and says, you are holy, it means you're set apart. It's like Israel was living in a world amongst other people set apart. Just like we, the church, are called to do. We're living we're in the world, but we're not of the world. So they're set apart in this way. So in some way, this priest is carrying this piece of meat going to the altar or away from the altar. And it is considered holy because of that reason. And so the point here is like, so if you touch bread or if you touch wine or if you touch oil, like does that holiness spread? If I, if I bump into it, does the holiness spread? And so the Levitical priests, knowing the law of God and knowing how the the holiness of God was to be displayed in their nation, they know this stuff and they say, no, they're getting that from Leviticus chapter four. Okay, and so then the the story goes on a little bit too. God changes the question a little bit. Verse 13, Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? So if, if someone touches a dead body and they touch bread or stew or wine or oil, does it become unclean? So the priests, knowing the law of God and being teachers of the law of God and his calling for them to be holy, says yes. It becomes unclean. So again, God is holy and in him is no darkness at all. He is perfectly holy. He set apart a people and a worship system that is holy. Now the Ammonites and the Amalekites and the Canaanites and all these people had a system of worship. Okay, I'm not talking about the same time period. But everybody has a system of worship. You are going to worship something. And back then, the people all around Israel worshipped something. And perhaps the Ammonites. I'll just pick on them, okay? Perhaps the Ammonites, they needed to worship, right? The crops were not coming in. And so they'd be like, we need to go to our God and we just need rain, okay? Grab a sheep out there. Oh, that one's kind of sickly. Let's get that sheep. Let's bring him in and we're going to offer him to our God. And we're going to be like, oh God, little G, okay? We need rain, here is our sacrifice. We sacrifice so much to bring you this sick, wounded sheep. And they would do a practice. And in the same way, Israel was also called a sacrifice to their God, their creator, their caller. But God had laid on them something different. Yes, everyone else around them is busy doing sacrifice. But he called for them, I want your best. And I want your first And so in that sacrifice, you see a symbol of someone, something to come when they would go and they'd pick the best bull or they'd pick the best sheep, the healthiest one, when they would harvest and they would give their first fruits to God. And in this too, the cultures around them would treat dead things in different fashions. And God says, you're in the culture, but you're not of the culture. And therefore, don't touch it. Now, certainly you could say that maybe God was protecting his people in a day before Dawn soap. Like, don't just touch dead things and then shake everyone's hand. That's bad. I think, sure, maybe. But I think it had a lot to do with the fact that God is holy. Okay? It's more about his holiness than whether or not they were washing their hands. And so in this tiny way, one fraction, God has set apart a people for himself that in some human way display the set-apartness of God. Okay? Holiness doesn't spread. Uncleanness spreads. You can think about it like shoes. You buy a pair of shoes and you're going to be like, I'm going to keep these things clean for months. It's going to be awesome. And then there's a torrential downpour like five minutes later. Okay, I have also have three boys. Okay, and so you're like, all right, children I'm gonna buy you new shirts and I just want them to be cool I want them to be nice for a whole three days and then like two hours later you see them dragging each other through the backyard And you're like well those grass stains goodbye shirt. It was nice It was nice seeing you white and clean or whatever now. You're all green and grassy um But you you see it like that. It just kind of sticks. Or maybe you think about health, right? No one, you know, sickness spreads. It spreads like wildfire. At no point do you get the opportunity to sit amongst healthy people and you're like, I feel like I ate my broccoli. This is amazing. I'm healthier. I would love to sit next to some of you and just get your health. It would be so easy and so nice, yet when it comes to health health doesn't come to you but when it comes to how dust spreads dust sticks to you and so it is with this tension of holiness and uncleanness to the people of god so who cares <laughs> why why does that matter so hey guy what are you what are you telling us like what what do we have to know from this and so Here, he he takes it up a notch and really challenges these people who are building this temple. Okay, let's look at verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people and within this nation before me declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. So you have this picture, the people have maybe dug out the foundation of the temple. They've repaired the spots in the foundation that have been cracked or broken from the destruction that has happened. And just from the years of there being inattention paid to this building. And they're working at it, and yet God is coming to them again, saying like, I don't don't think you're doing it for the right reasons. The people, they're unclean. Like there's maybe this attitude that has crept in that said, because I have been working on the temple, I'm doing it. My spiritual life is soaring. Look at those stones that I've built. And God says, you're, you're, you're unclean. Your nation is unclean. The work of your hands is unclean. And there's a reality, this is a temple place. So they had been bringing offerings to this place and they were unclean. This doubt that had seated in their minds, these attitudes and actions deep within them had polluted everything that they were trying to do, this temple that they were trying to build. And perhaps some of them were saying, but I've been building the temple. I've spent my day on the temple. Look at what I have been doing. Look at the Bible verses I have been reading. Look that I'm I'm keeping up with the Bible reading plan. I'm treating my spouse so much better than I did last week. Look at what I have done. I've been working on the temple. And yet it says again, this people, unclean. This nation, unclean. Their work, unclean. And their, their offerings are... Are unclean. It kind of reminds me, we went through Revelation a while back. It reminds me of a church in Revelation. If you go with me to Revelation chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 13, it says this. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. So here's a New Testament church. And the people are seeing it. The the people on the streets are looking at this church in Sardis, and they're like, Sardis wasn't building a building, but they're like, look at those guys. They're doing it. They've got a building. They are kind. They're nice to people. Like, this is a different kind of group of people. And so the world who looks at the outside says, they're doing something different. But the Lord who knows their hearts says something different. I know your works, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. There's this tension for us in the church, and maybe I want to just take it up a notch here. You know, if you're visiting, I hope one day you plug into Veritas. But if you'll just hear me for a minute, I want to talk to us as Veritas. I'm not talking to the evangelical church or America. I'm talking to you, to us as a part of Veritas Church. Like, what is the reason we're doing what we're doing? like why are we here this morning what is going on are we putting on a show is it because we had a bad week that we have to do church now get that out of the way are we a church that people say like they're doing something over there something's happening over over there at veritas But are we dead on the inside? Are the people who are around us, if you read Ezra and elsewhere in the prophets, like there were a lot of people upset at this new nation coming back from captivity. They didn't want them to build a temple. They didn't want them to be a nation. They wanted them to do nothing. And so they saw the work that was happening. The neighbors saw the work. But God sees the heart. And when he sees the heart of his people, he's concerned because it's not set on who he is. The people thought they could have little spots in their life where they were doing this, but the uncleanness spread and polluted their work on the temple. It polluted their activities. It polluted their offerings. They wanted a little bit of the world and a little bit of sacrifice. They wanted a little bit of the world and church on Sunday morning. They wanted a little bit of this and a little bit of religion. And it infected every part of who they were. It infected, again, as it says here, the people. It infected the nation. It affected every work of their hands. And it affected their offering. Who are we? Why are we here? Why are we doing this? Are we doing the actions for the wrong reasons? And that's what I want us to consider and reflect on today. God wants obedience for the right reasons. God wants, desires your heart. God isn't just interested in your patience. He's interested in patience that's fruit of a heart that says God is sovereign. That even though the situation is crazy, he is in control. God doesn't just want you to have less control. He wants you to trust his control. God doesn't want you just to tear down your pride. He wants you to be humble because he is so holy and you are so nothing and yet he loves you. Why do you obey? Are you hoping this will fix your marriage? Are you hoping your kids will succeed or be healthy? Are you here because you dropped the ball with an addiction this week? So you've got to get tuned up. The priest Samuel um, at one point addresses this first king of Israel, Saul, when Saul got frustrated with the Lord. Saul was called to give an offering to the Lord, and Samuel the priest was the one who was supposed to do the offering. But Samuel never showed up. And so Saul's like, I got this. It's no big deal. We've all seen him do it a thousand times. I'll just take care of it. And God challenges Saul through this, through Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says this. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. We see this picture of reconciling, of seeking after God's will. But Saul came to seek after God's will for himself, in his own way. And veritas, so many of us come to God to seek after him in our own way, for our own good. And your own good isn't the end all of why we seek after God. As His created, chosen beings, if you're a part of the church, we're called to bring Him glory. We're called to obey as a source or as a response to what He is doing within our hearts. It's responsive, not directive. He is Lord of our life. Uh, Some of us undoubtedly come from families where this is a struggle. You, you grow up and you're, you deal with a difficult mother or father and you know if you don't do, they won't be happy. That's, that's not our God. You don't need to try to manipulate him or get him happy with you. In fact, he loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. To grasp that and hold on to that as you wrestle with that is essential. But, but for us as Christians, like, why do we do what we do? Keep asking the question. Israel, you're building the temple. I told you to build the temple. Don't build the temple for the wrong purposes. Don't build the temple for the wrong reasons. Certainly it's discouraging. Certainly it's hard. Yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't forget your God. When you're parenting and you're raising children and you have a billion decisions to make, don't forget the Lord. When you're making career choices or retirement choices or entertainment choices, don't forget the Lord. Why do you make the decisions that you make? It's a calling for us as Christians to stand out from the world. Certainly, we're here with everyone in Cedar Rapids. But our purposes and reasons are different from many in Cedar Rapids. Because we serve the Lord. So Haggai calls the people like, listen, we're at this point, we're building, we're about to set this cornerstone. Like, remember this day. Let's read this first. Haggai chapter 2, we're in verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward. It's an interesting term. It depends on context. The English translators say onward. I would say it leans more towards backward. We're not going to like fixate on the past, but we're just going to pause once again. And we're going to briefly remember the past here for a moment. So Israel, like pause. You're building this temple. You're doing it wrong. I've pricked your hearts. Like let's address some of these issues where we've gotten off. And let's just think about this. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to a wine van to draw 50 measures, there there were but 20. When they came to the cabinets at that point, they were empty. I came expecting bowls of soup, cans of soup, vegetables. I came there. I was expecting 50. I got way less. When I came to grab some wine, there were supposed to be this many bottles. There was only a couple. So in this moment, they're reflecting on how things are right now. It's bleak. It's bleak. So consider like this is where you're at. I struck you, verse 17, and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you didn't turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward then, From the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider... I'm going to pause right there, right? There's this tension. We've talked about it before in Haggai, that there is blessing for following the Lord. Not in money, not in health, but in getting more of God. You follow God, you get more Creator. You follow God, you get more understanding of His love, of His power, of His control. And how much He works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. God may bless you in some senses with earthly blessing. But He blesses you with eternal blessing. He gives you more of Himself. And so as we consider this, like let us take a moment and pause. How's your stress level? How's your satisfaction? How's your marriage? How are your children? Like, when you take note, like, take stock of it right now, like, where are you at? Certainly, we don't have to build a temple. Certainly, by God's grace, we haven't been hauled off, and we're back in Cedar Rapids here for a couple of years. Praise God. But what does it look like for us as a chosen people, as His church, Veritas, to consider this warning from a prophet and say, Where, where is my heart off? Where am I trying to control my family where I need to lean into God's control? Where am I functioning out of tremendous anxiety because I can't do all the things when God can do all the things? Where's your heart, Veritas? Where is your heart? Where are our hearts? I mean, we're doing it. You're all here. But is your heart here? Take stock of that. Think about that. And then let's go to verse 19. He continues, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. From this day on, I will bless you. Now, let's face this reality. Not all of us are farmers in here. Anyone have a pomegranate tree? Is it a tree? Might be a bush. I don't know, right? What do you do? Is what you're doing coming up short because you're doing nothing for the glory of God? Are you trying to keep a a hand in the world and trying to do some offerings over here? Like, where is our heart? What does it look like for us to hear the words of the prophet, recognize the holiness of God, repent of our sin, and, and stay faithful? What does it look like for us as a church To build the temple of God within our souls for the right reasons, for the glory of God. Where are we at? Still, these people have wrestled and they've struggled. And it's so easy to get your heart off, right? You're busy. Like, I'm busy, like, ordering blocks for the temple. I'm busy lining up teams to, like, you're in that corner. You're over there. You're doing this part of the wall. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. And slowly my heart starts to deviate. And it becomes more about the blocks than about the temple. And some of us, we're Christians, right? We love family. And we're so busy with family. And our heart starts to deviate. Am I raising a family so that I can disciple? That I can have some instant disciples in my home? Or are we doing discipleship and baseball? Because that's eternal. When God promises us an eternity with Him in heaven, how much time am I focusing on my retirement? Nothing wrong with planning. but How often do I check the graph in the current economic culture and just see it going down? Church, lean in. The people of Israel called at this place, ready to celebrate this foundation. God says, from this day, what does it look like for us to say July? July 2022, basically August first. What does it look like for us to say, This is the day? I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna examine my heart. I'm going to find areas of my life where I have gotten busy, where I have shown up to church but I failed to worship, where I have sung, but I have failed to worship. And I'm gonna lean into God. I'm gonna confess that my heart has been off track. And I'm going to worship and glorify God in my child raising, in my career, because that's why I'm here. What does it look like for you to set that mark and be transformed? There is a practical issue here, right? You know your stress, you know where you're at, you know your decision making. And you lean into holiness and you look back in two or three months and you see what God has done. I dare you. Don't go to your bank account. I'm not preaching that message. But go to your stress level. Go to your anxiety and see what the faithfulness of God has done as you've leaned into him. We have the added blessing of being after Christ. We have the added blessing of from this day I will bless you. We have the added blessing of Jesus. We have seen Jesus. We have read about Jesus in the Newer Testament. And we have the opportunity to examine our hearts and see God's faithfulness to Israel. And how he has blessed the nations through them in Jesus Christ We're going to enter a time now of communion where we look back and we reflect. We examine ourselves, like we've said. Examine yourselves, church. This isn't just a tradition. This is an opportunity for us to say, like, am I leaning into Jesus or am I doing it my own way? Let's not be the people in Haggai who get off track again. Let's be about spreading the fame of Christ Let's be about worshiping God as we build his temple. Let's not be like the church in Sardis, that they're doing something, but they're dead. Let's examine our hearts. Let's confess our sins, areas of of parenting, of career, of anxiety, of addiction, of stress that we've allowed to get out of hand. Let's put God on his throne because he is Lord And let's worship him because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross.